Good morning, church. My name is Bobby Pearson. It's my uh, honor and privilege to give the sermon this morning. Thank you so much to Stephen and the singers uh, for Blessed Quietness. As loud as possible is the best way to sing Blessed Quietness. Always been a great hymn. Um, I'm going to see if this button works. Great. All right. We're all set. This stand will not support my Bible, so I'll just go off my notes today. Um, Good morning, everyone. Um, I'd like to open up with a quick word of prayer um, uh, to, uh, uh, to go to God. Um, if you've been uh, following the news, there was an attack on a synagogue in Pittsburgh yesterday. Um, our sister church up in Pittsburgh meets at the school that is used by that Jewish community. So it, it hits close to home uh, to some of our brothers and sisters up there, the Rakowskis and the Panorandas, if you remember them. They're all up in Pittsburgh. Um, so I talked to Jason yesterday, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're processing it, um, shaken a little bit, um, but it's an opportunity for them to be a light in a dark world. So let's go to God in prayer. Uh, dear God, uh, we come to you today, uh, we come to you today uh, from many different places, God. Some of us are, uh, uh, God, some of us are, are feeling great, I'm sure, and are, uh, and are full of uh, faith and joy, and others of us have come from difficult weeks. Maybe we've been shaken by, uh, uh, by, by one of the many difficult things that's been happening in our country and in our world uh, these past weeks. I pray, God, that, uh, that wherever we are, uh, God, that we can reach out to you, uh, that we can, uh, God, that we can show that same, uh, God, that same vulnerability that we were called to show, to, to cry out in prayer, just as, uh, God, just as Will and Maddie uh, in, encouraged us to in the communion, God, help us to come to you in prayer, help us to love one another, to really draw close to one another, uh, to, um, God, uh, and, and, and especially now, uh, during this, uh, God, during this message, please speak through your word, uh, please speak through me, please help us to, uh, uh, God to find God to find insight, faith, and encouragement in the scriptures. In Jesus' name, Amen. amen. Drew and Jenny are in Dallas for the Youth and Family Conference. They send their greetings. Uh, they uh, they're learning how to uh, how to engage spiritually with children from birth until graduation. That's kind of the uh, that's kind of the the theme of their uh, of their conference. And they said hello. They're our ministry couple. If you're new, uh, they they lead the church. And, um, and uh, they, they miss you guys and wish they could be here today. And uh, to be honest, I'm a little nervous. And I wish they could be here today, too. But let's go. Amen. Come on, brother. So uh, we're going to open up to, uh, in our Bibles to 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And we're going to read uh, through chapter 3, verse 10. Uh, the letter of 1 John was written, uh, scholars are pretty sure, by the, apostle, uh, by the Apostle John, one of the twelve. I'm convinced that it was written by the Apostle John. And it was written to an audience, to a Christian community uh, in Asia Minor, what is now Turkey, that was struggling with remaining faithful uh, to the gospel as they were taught. Uh, this community, some, some, some of us have already preached uh, previous Sundays, so this is just going to be a, a review. Um, some of these Christians were losing confidence in the face of false teachers who used to be Orthodox Christians, uh, but had left the community and were starting to poach members of the, of the church uh, with various false teachings that were in some ways attractive to the Christians. And those false teachings, I think Seth uh, did a great job talking about them uh, last Sunday and, and uh, some other, uh, in some other sermons we've gone over this, but the false teachings were lawlessness, the fancy word is antinomianism, 
uh, from the Greek anomia, meaning a disregard for moral law, right? Um, so they would say, you know, um, you know, what really matters isn't, isn't moral obedience. What matters is your knowledge. What matters is what, what's between here, not what you do. That's so carnal. That's physical. Who cares about that? Um, and that false teaching is also tied to another one called, uh, called docetism, the belief that, God, uh, that Jesus only appeared to be human, from the Greek for to appear. Jesus only appeared to be human, but was in fact a pure spirit. Um, Will and, uh, and Maddie really tore that heresy apart during their communion. Uh, they showed how Jesus was incredibly human. He was yeah. perfectly human. He struggled. He wept. He, he shed blood. Um, he, he also ate and drank. Um, he, he did all of the things that, were, that characterized a man because he was one. Uh, but the, uh, but the, these false teachers believed that Jesus was only a spirit and that he was, he was a dispenser of knowledge rather than an example for us to follow in our humanity as he was human as well. So, anyway, background. These false teachings and others, they would arise from a combination of Greek pagan uh, philosophies, Eastern mystery cults, uh, and Jewish mysticism. And a common effect of, those, uh, of these false teachings is to devalue community bonds, like the church was starting to disintegrate, right? People were leaving. People weren't feeling as close to each other, and it was easier for them to drift off. Uh, and then also it devalued personal holiness. Um, the false teachers would say it doesn't matter what the, what the apostles are telling you to be holy, to be righteous, to comport yourself in a certain way. That doesn't matter. They're just controlling you. They would, they would instead emphasize secret knowledge, which coincidence only they had, and they would give it to you if you did what they said. Um, and also your own, advancing your own personal spiritual status. So John saw this. He understood it well. And to counter this slide into apostasy, John preaches on three of his themes, uh, which, which come up again and again in 1 John, that Jesus died on the cross to break the power of sin, okay? So that, you know, Jesus broke sin, so we're not supposed to be in sin anymore. That Christians are beloved children of God right here, right now. You don't have to do some extra thing to get some extra personal status, right? You have it right now. And that Jesus would one day appear, make himself manifest in a new way that we can scarcely even comprehend now and change everything forever. So he, he, he hits three things. He hits the past truth of the crucifixion. He hits the present reality of how, of, of how Christians are children of God and the future expectation. Jesus will come back soon. And he, he wraps all of these things together with the charge to be holy in your hope. And hey, that's the title, Be Holy in Hope. Um, uh, we, we need this too. You know, discouragement and spiritual fatigue are real. There are plenty of counterfeit gospels in our world that make all sorts of promises. Uh, there's a constant temptation to give up. I, I, I feel it, certainly. You probably do too. To quit giving to God, to quit sacrificing our time and energy for the sake of God's kingdom. I think those thoughts too, like, man, where would I be if I da-da-da-da-da? I would have so much more money and free time, da-da-da-da, you know? Amen? You all with me on that? There is that temptation. And there's finally the, the temptation to compromise, to blend in, and to slowly just assimilate back into the world. So a word of encouragement to you that we're going to get from this passage as we read it right now. We need to know where our hope is in order to persevere. Starting in uh, chapter 2, verse 28. Push the button again. Yes. <clears throat> Reading from the ESV. 
And now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shriek, shrink from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Chapter 3. See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why this world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps sinning has either seen him or known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous, as he, God, is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Wow, there's so much going on here. It was, it's difficult, to, uh, it's difficult for, for me to read this and kind of get it all in my head. And that's because John writes in a way that's not often familiar to us. He writes his letters, uh, according to Bible scholars, he writes his letters in circles, right? He keeps looping back to his themes again and again, kind of like a waltz, right? You do, you do three steps up and a pause and three steps back and a pause. And as you keep doing these steps over and over, you're slowly turning around. And as you do that slow turn, you're slowly moving all around the ballroom. And that's kind of like what John is doing. He... He comes back to his themes again and again. His themes are, are, um, are binary, love and hatred, life and death, righteousness and sin, truth and deceit, remaining and departing, right? John likes to cast things in pretty, in pretty, uh, in pretty strict black and white terms to make things clear to, a, to an audience that's kind of in the mushy middle, right? Uh, so he drives home these different points with his themes to continue in Christ, to love God, to love others, to resist sin, test the spirits, overcome the world, right? And he keeps going back to the same themes over and over again. Light, dark, love, hate, truth, uh, tr- truth and deceit. And here, so, it, so as, as you read this, think about how he com- kind of comes back to the same thing over and over again, but kind of says it in a different way. Mm-hmm. Here he encourages his audience to holiness by giving them three reasons for hope, which I've already mentioned. One is past, one is present, and one is future. The past hope is a past historical event, which uh, which which Will and Gabby, uh, uh, sorry, Maddie talked about, to destroy the works of the devil. Pardon. Um, the past event that John focuses on, and again keeps coming back to, is the crucifixion. We tend to think about the cross more in terms of atonement and forgiveness, right? He paid the price, and my sins are taken away. But that's not really the whole story. And I appreciate right. how, every, how every Sunday we do communion, and you know, we, 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 get a new, we get a new angle on it. Um, and according to John here, sin and death are not only like accounted for and dealt with, they're actually defeated forever. They're actually broken. 
Jesus isn't doing some sort of, you know, legal, you're okay now because I died. He's actually attacking death and killing it, breaking it. In Hebrews 2.14, it says, By his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. In Revelation 20, verse 6, yeah, we're going there. Blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. The second death has no power over them. The, so, when, uh, so, so when John talks about the, the, uh, the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, he's using some fighting words, you know? Yeah. The Spirit is now in us, allowing us to fight and overcome because Jesus has overcome. Honestly, some of us need to hear this pretty badly because maybe for you, the legal language of forgiveness and justification doesn't really move you. Sometimes it's that way for me. You know, we're struggling with sin, and it seems like sin has the upper hand. And, like, all, all you can tell yourself is, I've been forgiven of this, but how is that helping me right now? Right? Has anybody ever been there? Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, Jesus' purpose is to take away sin in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 5, to destroy the works of the devil, point one. Mm. To condemn the devil to expose all of his empty promises as lies, to drive him out of this world back to the hell that's intended only for him and not for you. That was Jesus' purpose. And this was accomplished over the course of one day, almost exactly 2,000 years ago, in early April, between 9 a.m. and 3 p.m., all right? This isn't just an idea that's thematically resonant with us and kind of helps us feel good. This is an actual historical event. And John goes to great pains in the first chapter to say, we touched him, we saw him, we heard him. Like, this is real. This isn't just some mystery cult kind of thing that was also going on back in the day where, you know, a bull would become a man and then you'd kill the bull and then yada, 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 something would happen. No, John's, that's the cult of Mithras or some, I don't understand it very well, but it's a lot of mumbo jumbo. But John says, no, this is a historical fact. And we were all there, and I'm still alive, and I can talk about it. And I can tell you what, I can tell you what Jesus' eye color was, and what some of his, you know, what some of his mannerisms were, and like he could really bring that to, the, to his audience. Yeah, I was there. It is real. Yep. The single most well-attested fact in all of ancient history is the crucifixion. So I ask you, are you giving in to impurity? Are you wallowing in pride or indulging in hateful thoughts and words? Jesus came not just to forgive and forget those things, but to destroy those things, to crush them under his feet. First John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10 converted me. Um, I was talking with, uh, uh, with, with, with one of you this morning um, how I, I, I uh, became a disciple back in 1999 as a first year at UVA. Wow. And a, a lot of... Wahua, yes. 3121, amen. First um, John uh, chapter 1, verse 5 God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, as I did in November of 1999, while we walk in darkness, as I did in November 1999, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Mm -hmm. If we say we have no sin, also, as I did in November 1999, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And that was a hard teaching for little 18-year-old Bobby. Oh, man. 
I'm not comfortable with this, you know? But these words converted me. They were finally clear for the first time. Okay, this is the standard. Jesus does not abide, you know, I can't abide, uh, I, I can't abide in Jesus if I, if I let sin habitually character, you know, in a way that characterizes my whole lifestyle, right. abide in me as I was, as I was. That's why John says no one who abides in him keeps on sinning habitually, characterizing your life long term. That's not to say that Christians never sin. It's easy to read 1 John and think, well, this is impossible. Forget this. Yeah. You know, this is, clearly, this is clearly not grounded in reality. No. If we say that we never sin, John says we're liars and the truth isn't in us. So, amen. Okay. <clears throat> God recognizes that and gives us a way out. If we confess our sins, he's, he's faithful and just. So he gives us this mechanism of, of confession and continual repentance uh, to, to keep coming back knowing that Jesus' death on the cross has, kill, has destroyed sin once for all. We just need to keep coming back to Let's it. Go, Amen? Come on. All right. Um, <clears throat> no Christian can keep on sinning, keep on sinning, because he has been born of God. Mm-hmm. So here we go from the past event, from the, from the crucifixion to our present reality. Push the button. Beloved children of God. Okay, so John was, was looking backwards. He was saying, this is true. And now he's looking to right now. What's happening right now? Jesus' death is a demonstration of this, of this love for us. He fights for us. Do you remember listening to your parents' phone conversations as a kid? I think probably all of us might be able to relate to this in some way. You could figure out what the other person was saying on the other end of the line yeah. just by listening to what your mom or dad were saying, uh-huh. right? <laughs> so John's main overarching theme uh, in, in, in this passage is how the Christians are children of God. Your Bible translation might have that header. And he affirms it five times in the passage we just read because it was a point of doubt that his audience had. He wouldn't be saying this over and over again, but you, children of God, you're children of God. Let me tell you, children of God, et cetera, et cetera, five times. He wouldn't be saying this over and over again unless it was a point of doubt in his audience. They were worried, like, are we really children of God? Because there's some pretty impressive people who used to be with us, and now they're gone, and they're saying we're not children of God. Oh, man. You know, and the doubt starts to eat away at you, especially if the people who leave are people who you've looked up to and respected. But John says that nothing uh, is farther from the truth, that the false teachers were promoting this idea that gaining special knowledge makes us children of God rather than what we have right now in the crucifixion. Um, Nothing is farther from the truth. John says that Jesus' death on the cross accomplished for everyone who responds biblically, faith, repentance, and baptism, is proof positive of his love. Nothing more is required. The adoption papers are signed. You are his child and can be no more or less his child by your maturity or your knowledge or your results. Right? Just as every sinner stands on level ground at the foot of the cross, every Christian is also raised up equally high in sonship or daughtership, right? So it's easy for us to think of, you know, all sinners are, 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 are on equal footing, you know, your sin isn't worse than my sin. We're, we're kind of comfortable with that, actually. I think that's been mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of repeated uh, into us, and it's true. It appeals to our egalitarian uh, nature uh, as, as Americans, I think. Um, but maybe we're less comfortable with the idea that if you are a disciple, if you're a Christian, you've been elevated quite high, and, 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 we all, and we all share in that equal blessing. 
again, I appreciate so much how, how Will shared so vulnerably, and, and Maddie as well, about how, about how it's easy to doubt that. It's easy to see ourselves as less than God wants us to see ourselves. Um, <clears throat> this can motivate us in, uh, to holiness in a really great way. You know, um, let's say you're given the, the shiny new car. There was a sister here years and years ago. Um, Sharon knows her. Liz Moyer with the car. So her dad gave her a car. It's a great story. Her, her, Liz. <laughs> her dad gave her a car. Um, she crashed it. Her, her dad was disappointed. He gave her a new car. She crashed it again. No, There is no way. Do you guys know her? No. Okay. Um, so she, um, she'd be tickled that we're talking about her. Um, her father gave her a third car. And she was so stricken with, like, <clears throat> with gratitude and, like, an overwhelming acknowledgement of the grace that her father gave her this car. Parents weekend, I'm not advocating this, but if you want to do this, you can. Uh, with, with, your student, with your children. Um, she was just so overwhelmed that she got a third chance that she took extraordinary care of that car wow. from there on out. You'd think that maybe it would happen the first time. No, it, it, took, it took two times. Um, <clears throat> similarly, you know, if, if you live in a neighborhood and none of the other neighbors have overgrown lots and busted drain pipes and broken windows and everybody is kind of feeling good about your neighborhood, right? then everyone is filled with gratitude for how awesome the neighborhood is, and we're all driven to do our part. We're motivated out of joy rather than guilt to keep our lawn mowed and the drain pipe fixed to the thing and the leaves out of the gutter and all that. Um, and it can be a joy. Uh, uh, full disclosure, we lived in the country until a few months ago, and I let my lawn grow, overgrow, because it didn't matter. Um, <laughs> but if we, if we ever move to Redfields or something, you, you can bet I'll be... I'll, I'll, I'll be out front there, joyfully mowing the lawn. Um, but, you know, being, being elevated by God can really motivate us to holiness. Yeah, you know? that's right. You, you don't have to earn it. You don't have, to, you don't have to maintain your position. You've been given this position as an adopted child of God, and that should motivate ra- rather, than, rather than guilt or rather than having right. to earn it. Like, we're here. How awesome is this? Let's keep this thing going. But again, we're not often comfortable with this. Uh, as, uh, as, as Will shared, it's easier sometimes to continue to use the language of equal sin. Oh, I'm just a wretched sinner saved by God and I'm no good. And, you know, when we should be, and I, 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 I absolutely feel that sometimes, when we should be regarding ourselves as God wants, his kids in a big, amazing family. Come on. Yeah. Um, and he doesn't play favorites either. You know, except Jesus. Jesus is his favorite, and we're all okay with that. Amen. Um, Audrey, uh, my my wife Audrey and I like to joke uh, around with uh, being horrible parents, and so I have this line in my head when we when we introduce ourselves. I like to say, "Hi, this is uh, I'm, I'm Bobby. This is my wife Audrey. These are our two wonderful children, and that's our other one over there." You know, God doesn't do that, right? Can you imagine a human parent saying that? But we, but we so quickly will think in our heads that we're that, you know, we're, we're that other one. You know, God loves these over here yeah. who are doing X, Y, and Z and, you know, whatever. And then there's, you know, there's that one and we kind of keep them around or her. Um, but we sometimes think of ourselves in that way, amen? Yeah. We kind of think of ourselves as the leftover, as the, as the unacknowledged child. No, he acknowledges all of us equally, equally. Come on, um, bro. <clears throat> We're all equally loved and favored children of God, but 
It doesn't stop there. That's our present. We've talked about our past. We just talked about our present. And now we can look forward to our future. Come on. Yes. All right. Button. <clears throat> the future expectation. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. That's our future expectation. Wow. We shall be like him. Wow. Either in life or in death, you know, if, the, if, if he comes while you're alive, or if you meet him after you die, you will see God as he really is. And we will all be changed. The scripture says, Abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. That, that word coming is, is the English translation of, of a Greek parousia. Parousia, sorry. Um, verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 28. Literally, it means the being beside. God was not beside us in a, in a way, and now all of a sudden he is. And you are beside God, and you're beside yourself with, oh, my word. You know, it's the, it's the coming or the imminent presence of God. Uh, the, uh, I think Strong's Bible uh, Dictionary defines it as the future visible return from heaven of Jesus to raise the dead, hold the last judgment, and set up formally and gloriously the kingdom of God. It's clear from this passage that it's not meant to be clear what this passage means. I don't know about you. That was, I'm, I, I, feel very, uh, <clears throat> I feel very confident in saying that. Excuse me. It's my fourth one this morning. <clears throat> yeah, I think that God, through, through inspiring John, wants, wants us to let our imaginations, you know, go with this, right? We shall be like him mm-hmm. when he appears. John doesn't use any metaphors. He doesn't say it's like this, it's like that. He just leaves it like he, he just leaves it at that. Leaves it to you to think, what does that mean? I think about how God made man in his own image, which is a pretty mind-boggling thing in and of itself, Genesis 1 and 2. But this passage looks forward to a day when we won't just be in his image, in that we're creative beings, moral beings, etc., but we'll be truly like him in a way that we can't now fathom. And John doesn't even bother to put into words. He just says, we'll be like him. Let that pause, you know, let that marinate. The only, uh, I, I think in terms of movies, I don't know about you, but in Disney's Robin Hood the, from the 70s, I think, good King Richard comes back and immediately everything is good again. If you remember, um, I should have gotten a clip. The sun comes out, the, the background colors are vibrant and deep. Whereas, as long as Prince John was in charge, it was muted and dull and gray and, and sad. The music is joyful. The bad guys are in chains, busting rocks, uh, just like Satan in Revelation. He's going to be cast down uh, forever. Robin and uh, Marion are married, which is actually kind of like Christ and the church being married. It's pretty amazing. Didn't think about that. Um, go watch Robin Hood, Stephen. Go watch Robin Hood. But this is like this is the idea. This is the picture that yeah. the Scripture impresses on us. Yeah, right. It's on, a man. remade world yeah. under God's perfect sovereignty, filled with His redeemed children. All the you know the the, the dog with the leg thing. You know, if, if if it were the dog with the cast and the crutch, if it were more biblically accurate, the the cast and the crutch would be gone. But everybody's happy. You know. The little kid with the floppy hat, he's, he's happy, he's shooting yeah. his arrows. Um, everybody's singing. 
this is um, this is kind of like the this is the the emotional uh, the emotional response that I believe God wants us to have, and it's what He wants us to look forward to. Everything will be changed. Sometimes we get our sometimes we get our end times, you know, whatever thinking wrong. We think that um, we think just in terms of man, I'm getting out of here. This world is awful. It can burn in hell, and I'm going to be in heaven, and it's going to be all good. No. That's not really what the Bible says. Yeah. The Bible talks more about God returning and being with us and remaking everything. And amen, there is, there is absolutely judgment um, and, and fire. Um, and uh, I'll leave that for another sermon. But don't think, of, don't think of Jesus' coming as a complete irrevocable destruction of the world. It's, it's more of a recreation of the world. No more sin or sorrow. No more temptation or doubt. No more loss or regret. These are all things that the First John audience is struggling with. The future that we hope for as believers is, is, a, is a world in which none of these exist anymore, which takes us back to chapter 3, verse 3. Come on, bro. Here we go. This is awesome. Chapter 3, verse 3. Everyone who thus hopes in God purifies himself as he is pure. Our hope is both past, present, and and future. It is certainly as well as, um, it, so it's, it, it's a lot like the anticipation. Our future hope is a lot like the anticipation of waiting for that Christmas present when you were little. Maybe as you are right now. I don't know. <clears throat> Teens over here, I know you feel this way. <clears throat> you know, Christmas presents are best appreciated, not, not in a greedy sort of way, thinking, oh boy, what am I going to get? What am I going to get? That's how we thought when we were six, seven, and eight. But as we get older, we realize, wow, my parents really love me. I trust them. I'm excited to see what happens next. Amen? Amen. It's not about getting the thing. It's about celebrating that, that, that giving and receiving love that you have with your parents. Um, Christian hope is a lot like that. It's about celebrating the love we have with God um, and, and looking forward and being certain of what's next. God said that, you know, no, no father would, if his son asked him for a, for a fish, would give him a snake, or a loaf of bread would give him a stone, you know. Um, but a child can have, can have expectation that he or she will, will receive from his parents. That's the hope that we're supposed to have, too. Yeah. It's not necessarily optimism that every single thing will work out as you think is best to work out, right? Yeah. It's more that we expect God to work in the world, and he protects us from despair when things don't go well, because... To be honest, things will not always go well. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, if, if things go poorly, it does not mean that your faith is lacking necessarily. You know, God gives us hope in order to carry us through those hard times, not as a genie to make everything work out exactly as we want. But hope, as the passage says, hope leads to holiness because we're part of a story that's bigger than ourselves, and we're only now, you are only now in the middle of it. Amen? Amen. Right. We're looking forward to that new creation yeah. And we're living right now in anticipation of it. So, how do we do this? Here's the practical. Here on, it is. Bro. One practical. So, imagine your life without temptation, without disappointment. How would you spend your idle time, let's say, if that were true? What would your relationships look like if that were true? How would you share your faith if that were true? Brothers, what would your friendships with women look like if you treated them with, like sisters? with absolute purity. That would be pretty amazing, right? Yeah. Be awesome. Disciples, how would you talk with your classmates and coworkers 
if you weren't afraid of rejection and disappointment, but if you were, if you were fully 100% confident that, that, that God would, that God would, uh, would, would, would appear, would, would have that, that, uh, that, that, that parousia, mm-hmm. how would you talk with your classmates and coworkers? How would you share your faith? No rejection, no disappointment, only validation and vindication. Wow. What would our fellowship look like without dissension and faction, but instead if everyone loved each other with a deep, genuine, Christ-like love? That's for next Sunday. Come back for that one. That's the next, that's the next passage in chapter 3. So the practical I give to you is to find one way that you can grow in holiness this week and then consider where your hope is. What is your pat? What's... What do you look back on as the object of your hope? Is it the crucifixion and his resurrection? Or is it something else? Consider where your hope is right now. Is your hope right now in the fact that you're a beloved child of God, that he loves you more than anything? Or is it something else? Think about what you're looking forward to. Where is your hope in the future? What, what world do you want to see? And be inspired to change. Be inspired to change. Be holy in hope. Yep. Amen? Amen. Thank you so much.